good afternoon and welcome to Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet. I'm here in the studio with the late Patty Fink. Laron is at a dance recital with his daughter. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he says. That's what he says. <laughs> Jeremy's in the studio with us and on the phone with us is Jeannie Gainsberg. She is the author of The Savvy Ally, A Guide to Becoming a Skilled LGBT Advocate. Um, do you know, Patty, who one of the people who endorsed her book, uh, you know, one of those blurbs in the book, yeah, Robin Oaks. Oh, awesome. We know so, Robin. Yeah, Robin's well. been on our show a number of times. So uh, when I saw that, I, I thought, well, if Robin recommends her. <laughs> Jeannie, are, are you there? I am. Hello. I'm Robin, too. Um, Welcome to Dallas. Um, One of the things I noticed uh, in in your bio is that you received from the New York State Assembly a citation for Distinguished Educational and Human Rights Services. I just wanted to welcome you to Texas and tell you the Texas legislature is not going to be doing the same thing for you. (laughs) (laughs) I won't expect that. Thanks for the warning. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to start with um, first of all, you're straight. When did you? Uh, yeah, when did you realize you were straight? And did your family have trouble accepting you? <laughs> I love it. You're implementing my switching technique. Did you read this from my book? <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> but never. He, he always asks well, straight I, people when they how they felt. And, you know, was it difficult and such. Yeah, actually, I mean, you know, lovely that you're asking that question. We should be asking more straight gender people that question, I think. Um, I, I grew up in a, in a very liberal household where the word gay was not a naughty word, where it was discussed. I'm so grateful to my parents for being so open. Despite that, it was very clear to me that my parents expected me to grow up straight um, just by, you know, the language they used when they talked about my potential future partner, um, the books that they read to me. You know, so I, I did get that standard. We're expecting you to be straight, and of course, everyone is expecting everyone to be cisgender, and they were right there as well. Um, so, even though it was a very liberal household, of course, the expectation was that I was going to grow up and be straight and cisgender, which is, I think, true in, in so many homes. Sure. Um, although, not necessarily mine. My mother uh, worked at Sarah Lawrence College, big lesbian school. And. Um, <laughs> I remember having a conversation with her when I was, I think, in high school, and she just said, you know, talking about some of her students, you know, you have to do what makes you happy. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually, I, I wish, I can't remember, I think I put this in the second edition of my book, I, I wish that figuring out that your child is, you know, LGBTQ+, plus is like figuring out that they're left-handed, you know, so it's like, they're probably going to be considered gender, but, you know, they could be not. And, and just sort of being as open to the fact that they might be LGBTQ plus as left-handed, which, of course, most parents are like, oh, okay, let's just wait and see, you know? Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> In the ideal world. So how did you become an ally? Um, you didn't have a close friend who was gay. You didn't have a relative who was gay that you knew of. How did you become an ally? Um, so it took me a long time. It was kind of embarrassing to admit how long it took me to get going. Um, I have always been in, inclusive or, or um, I guess, uh, supportive of LGBTQ plus folks um, from way back. I actually found a note that I was passing in eighth grade with my best friend where I was attending gay people, and that was in the 70s. So 
like I was really pleased to see that I had a pretty open mind back then, but I, I was not an ally. I wasn't doing anything to help, you know, support and advocate for this community. Um, and it took me a long, long time. I mean, I had a couple, a couple kind of false starts uh, where I shied away um, from doing, you know, doing anything. And it wasn't until I was 40 that um, my husband actually gave me a book about the fight for the women's right to vote in the United States. And um, I, it, it really got me thinking about my role currently um, in social justice movements and how little I was doing. Um, I was actually kind of putting myself back in time and thinking, oh, I, I would have behaved like this had I lived back, you know, uh, when the fight was happening for the women's right to vote. And I was like, you're being such a hypocrite. You haven't done anything about LGBTQ plus inclusion, for example. And, you know, I felt strongly about it my whole life. So mm-hmm. that was kind of a wake-up call. Um, there were other things that were going on in my life at that time as well that that made it sort of a uh, an obvious choice for me to move into my um, my children were both school age, young school age at that point, and I was really surprised at um, the fact that LGBTQ plus related teasing was still going on. I'm like, really? Like it's just the kind of stuff my kids were telling me was happening at school was like the same stuff that was happening when I was in school. You know, in in elementary school in the '60s. I'm like, how have we not moved past this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, bunch of things that came together um for me so i i, I decided to volunteer for our local lgbtq plus center here in I'm coming to you from rochester new york so i started volunteering there they ended up hiring me two years in my volunteer work and i ended up staying with that agency for 15 years wow um, my final five years there i was the education director which is really what put like a wealth of information in my head about how to be in line do you know where the first lgbt center was in the U.S.? Yeah. I know that Rochester is one of the oldest. Um, I don't know. The first one was in Albany. Um, I was a student at the time, uh, and one of our professors came into some money, and I forgot what the story was there, but um, uh, Nelson Rockefeller had just built the new mall, the, the office complex, and it had destabilized the foundations of all of the brownstones for blocks and blocks around. So the brownstones were going for pretty cheap. So this one professor who was gay bought a, a brownstone, and we called it the Gay Community Center. And this what is year was that? 1975. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but that was the beginning of gay and lesbian community centers popping up in every city across the country. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the one I worked for, it was originally called the Gay Alliance, and it was all—it was one of the oldest, and they, they started in the 70s as well. It started on the University of Rochester campus, um, and uh, they were one of the oldest in the nation, and unfortunately, they, they closed their doors a couple of years ago, which mm. hurts my heart. But, yeah. Yeah, well, it would um, just destroy me if that center in Albany closed because uh i mean when i say we helped build it i, I remember building i learned how to build a staircase because the staircase uh-huh. was not stable and we had to rebuild it uh and my college roommate who was gay lived in the basement for a year and that was the only income that supported <laughs> the entire center Wow. So. No pressure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're getting off. Um, 
I want to jump to the end of your book. You have a section in the book called Messing Up Properly, and I just love it. Because it gives people the um, ability to see that they don't have to be perfect. Yeah. Tell us what messing up properly is. Yeah. So I, I think that striving to be a perfect ally is, is a mistake. Um, as is striving to be perfect at anything. Like, well, I'm a volleyball player, and I think that, you know, sometimes you get against a really good opponent, and you're like, I have to, I have, everything has to be perfect. And you, you can't sustain that. Um, in fact, you're going to put so much pressure on yourself to, to do perfectly that you're probably going to end up doing work, you know. Um, so I kind of think we should strive for very good. Um, we need to be very aware that being an ally is an ongoing journey of messing up. Um, and we need to embrace that and get comfortable with it and, and just know how to respond after we've messed up. So I did put in an entire chapter on how to mess up properly. Um, I talked about the three steps, and I actually break it down into two different types of mess-ups. But um, I'll, I'll just talk about the first one, which is we've just messed up someone's name or pronoun, which I think is a really common thing mm-hmm. that happens to pretty much everyone. And, you know, what I like to say is, you know, if we're literally not walking around the world with where every person has the pronouns on their shirt, we're, we're bound to mess up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, because we get in those situations where we make our, our best educate, you know, best choice um, based on what we know and we try to be respectful and we're going to mess up. So, um, yeah, so my three steps for messing up properly are to um, apologize, forgive yourself, and then get it right the next time. Um, and I don't know if you want me to walk through kind of what that looks like. Sure. How detail you want me to hear. Yeah, so... Um, when I when you apologize after you messed up someone's pronoun, I think people's instinct is to over apologize because we tend to feel so badly. Um, but that's not usually the best way to apologize because it draws a lot of attention to your mistake, um, which then draws a lot of attention to the situation and the person you messed up with. And a lot of times, people don't want all that attention on on their name or their pronoun. Mm-hmm. So I, I always say apologize as if you bumped into a stranger on the street. Um, you know, you're not going to say nothing because that's rude. But you're not going to sob on the person's shoes, right? You're just going to say very quickly, oh, excuse me, or I'm sorry. Um, I know some folks have told me recently that they actually really like it when people simply just offer a thank you um, because the apology kind of forces a situation where the person has to say it's okay, whereas if you just say, oh, thank you for the reminder, then, you know, you've said it very quickly, but the person doesn't need to respond Um the next step is forgive yourself. Honestly, um, I am so forgiving of other people and so hard on myself when I mess up. It's something I'm working on, but I think um, it is really important that we all forgive ourselves when we have messed up. And then get it right the next time. I actually share a bunch of tips in my book for getting names or pronouns correct after you've messed up. And I'll just share a few. I won't go into too sure. many, but um, a couple that are really good to, to keep in mind are that anyone who's done any um you know, research around retention knows that you need to have repetition within the first few days very often um, when you've learned something new or you lose it. So when you first learn something like, oh, I just messed up this person's pronoun or they just switched to a new name and I'm struggling to remember it, um, write it down somewhere where you're likely to see it over and over and over throughout the day so that you get that repetition. Um, I, I actually, I still use a big old school you know, daily planner, um, and I look at that thing a billion times a day, so that's where I'll write down, like, someone's name and pronoun so that I can see it. Um, another nice tip is to add pronouns to your phone contact so that every time that person calls or texts you, you're getting that reminder of both their name and their pronoun. Um, 
And then finally, I'll share one tip that has to do with singular they, because I know a lot of people really struggle with singular they, um, which is really taking hold, at least in the U.S., as the most common uh, gender-neutral pronoun. Mm -hmm. And um, this tip actually came to me by a community member who uses singular they. So credit where credit is due. I didn't make this up, but I thought it was a great one, and it really helped me. Um, to practice on your pet. So if you don't have someone in your life who you use singular they with, it's really hard to get good at it because you don't have a big opportunity to practice. Um, my friend who uses singular they was like, just practice on your cat. Um, so I have a cat named Carlos. I, I think his pronouns are he, him. Who knows? But for a while, I was using <laughs> they to refer to Carlos as in, where are they? I just fed them their food. Aren't they hungry? really, really good at singular day, and Carla may not seem to mind as long as I continue mm -hmm. to feed him on time. So that ended up being a really helpful tip for me. That's a really, really great tip. Do you know, I don't have a problem using they when we're speaking, um, but I write for a living. I'm a reporter. Mm -hmm. And yeah. to make it clear that I mean the singular they... Sometimes the sentences get awkward. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, I'm not objecting to the singular they, but we have to do something to make it clear that we're talking about the singular they, and I don't know what it is. Yeah, although if you think about it, the, the pronouns we and you are similar in that we might be talking about one person or we might be talking about more than one person, and we, we navigate English fine with that, like we have no need when we're writing to make it clear that we're talking about one or more people. You know what I mean? That's true. So do that. And, and it might just be a matter of time. Right. Th that yeah. everybody will get more used to it and it will just sound right. But I know yeah. when I'm writing about somebody who's non-binary and using they, I'll run the sentence by somebody else in the office or they'll run it by me. Uh, and sometimes we have to reword that sentence till we get it clear. Yes. And there are ways I, I, to do it. It's just, <laughs> it, it can be awkward. So. Yeah, and I think in writing it's a lot easier to just add the name a little more often. Mm -hmm. In I think that gets super awkward. Like if you've ever tried to just use someone's name and not a pronoun, you do that for more than a few sentences and it just sounds ridiculous. It um, does. <laughs> But I think in writing that you can pass that off a little bit better. Yeah. So how do you define an ally? What is and is not an ally? So, oh my goodness. Well, I, my, I think my whole book is kind of what is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, so a few things. Um, I, I think that I define ally broadly. And so I think that when we look at or think about the LGBTQ plus communities and allies to the communities, we tend to think of the straight cisgender person like myself. And, you know, of course, that's true for many of us. But I define ally broadly. Um, I think that if you are a cisgender lesbian, for example, you can be an ally to the bisexual communities, the trans communities. If you're a white transgender man, you can be an ally to trans women of color who are, you know, marginalized and victimized in much different ways. So even if you're part of the LGBTQ plus community, you can still actually be an ally to others within that community. So I really like to make that point clear. Um, yeah, one example of that uh, is the lesbian community were allies to the gay male uh, HIV community during the height of the AIDS epidemic. And God, they saved lives. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And I think that, you know, there's there's so many different types of people who fall under the huge LGBTQ plus initialism. And they're so different and their communities are so different. And I love it when someone reads my book and they're part of the community and they say like, oh, my gosh, I, I knew a lot about my type of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I learned so much about like non-binary folks or pansexual people, whatever. So I think let's define ally broadly. I think it's really important. Um, but, you know, to me, I think that an ally is someone who advocates for and supports someone um, who is part of a marginalized community that they are not a part of. Um, I keep my definition pretty simple because I think that, I know there's been a recent movement, I don't know if you all have seen this, but um, how do you like my y'all? I'm working on my y'all, you, you Southerners. Did that come out for now? <laughs> Very good. There's a, Thank you. There is a y'all, there's both y'all, and then all y'all. Wait, what was the middle one? Both y'all. Both y'all, both y'all. If you're talking to two people. <laughs> yeah, there's y'all, y'all yeah. both y'all, and then all y'all. Right. y'all I think those are Texas, particularly. Well, they, they work everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's effective communication. <laughs> and it's all clear, it's all clear how many people... All y'all need to bring a pencil next week, you know? <laughs> it's clear how many people you're talking about there, too. It is. So, <laughs> so anyway, I don't know if y'all have noticed, but um, I've been reading a lot about these different, like either different words for allies or different levels of allyship. You know, we've got, like, the the advocate, the co-conspirator, the, um, I can't even remember them all, but it's like, it's like all these new words that are coming out to sort of imply a different level of allyship. And, and honestly, I just keep getting back to the same thing, which is the same thought, which is if we were doing allyship correctly, we wouldn't need all these words, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lot of pushback against allies who, like, just throw a pin on their shirt that says, I'm an ally, and that's all they do. Um, but I think there's, you know, being an ally is just it's an ongoing journey of learning and, and understanding how much you'll do and how and how welcomed you feel doing it. And, like, there's just so much that goes into being an ally that, um, again, I really like the term ally. I think that we should bring it back, kind of like the word feminist, you know, which became you know, sort of a negative term for a while. I'm like, I'm reclaiming the word ally here, folks. I think that, you know, we just need to learn better ways to do allyship correctly rather than, uh, you know, get rid of the word. Yeah, there's one place in the book where you say ally is a compliment, and you should take it as a compliment when somebody calls you an ally. Yeah, right. as opposed to an identity was, was what I was saying there. So rather than, like, walking around being like, well, I'm an ally, that's my identity, and certainly even worth using out the fact that you're an ally to sort of, um, you know, let you let you do things that maybe others might not um, do or give you privileges. It's best to think of it as a compliment. Like if someone calls you an ally, then that's it's a wonderful compliment. Um, but I think just sort of thinking along those lines, like allyship implies action. Uh, it's not an identity that we can kind of put on ourselves. With that said, I had to write a book where the, the name of the book is The Savvy Ally. I mean, it would be really hard to write that book without using the word ally. Right. But I think just getting in that, that, that mindset of this is really a compliment, this is not an identity, and I'm always striving to be an ally, I think is, is a great way to think about it. We're talking to Jeannie Gainsbourg. Her new book is The Savvy Ally, A Guide to Becoming a Skilled LGBTQ Advocate. Uh, we'll be back with more with Jeannie right after this quick break. 
And this is Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with the late Patty Fink, and we are talking to Jeannie Gainsbourg. Her book is The Savvy Ally. Uh, and we're, we're really just talking about what it means to be an ally. Um, one of your pieces of advice is pace yourself. Um, do you find that new allies tend to jump right in and want to get involved in everything? Some do, yeah. Um, the, the final part of my book is called Sustainability, and it's something that I take really seriously. I think that um, people can either jump right in, take on too much, and get really burned out, um, or they can get really intimidated by the, the huge checklist of you know, um, things that I don't know if you've ever seen these checklists of like, you're not an ally unless you do all of these things. And it's this enormous checklist and it's really daunting and really intimidating. And I actually think um, pretty unrealistic. I mean, I, I do this work full time and I can't check off all those boxes mm-hmm. either. So I think sometimes people see those lists and they're like, well, I'm never going to be a good enough ally. You know, why bother? So you kind of get both of those things going on. Um, and I think that really thinking about if you if you want to be an ally, if you're committed to about what you know what your superpowers are and what you hate doing, you know, because it's okay to drop a few things off your plate that you're terrible at and you just hate or you know you won't do. Um, you know, where are your skills? And then also being aware of the fact that I, I also dislike it when I see people say things like, well, being an ally is a 24-7 job. And I'm like, really? Like, what if you're going through a time in your life when, you know, you're, you're now caring for, like, a, a sickly parent or something? And, you, you know, it's like there's going to be points in your life when you're going to have more, more availability mm-hmm. and less. And that doesn't make you a bad ally. And I, I so I really, my book is very, um, I think, forgiving and encouraging in that way because I, I see too much of that sort of um, demand and accountability when it comes to allies. I don't think that, that helps uh, bring allies on board. You know, it reminds me, too, because um, it's not just people. I think corporations can be that way, too. I remember hearing from an executive at Walmart in the early 2000s at an HRC board meeting um, talking about they had just put uh, sexual orientation into their non-discrimination policies. And, you know, they had been notoriously anti-gay for many years before that. And... Um, the executive cautioned he had, he was gay himself he cautioned their executive um, staff I guess um, who were gung ho about putting you know putting an ad in like pride guides and LGBTQ magazines and all this stuff he goes no 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 we can't this is jumping the gun here we have to make this policy real in our in our stores and for our employees. If you see an ad in a for Walmart in a in a in the Advocate, for example, and a, a lesbian working in Alabama's Walmart says, "No, I'm still getting discriminated against on the job. What, the, what is this? You know?" Um, then it's not genuine and it's not sincere, and people can take it if you jump the gun and do too much right away, and you're not fully educated. Um, it, it it loses its power. So I'm I think the the, the pacing yourself is such a such an important one. Um, we're still learning as as queer people ourselves about our own community, and I can imagine someone who's not knee deep in it, you know, um, jumping in too soon. And and I think it has to be authentic and sincere along the way. And and 
So I, I applaud anyone who takes their time and learns and listens and and gets to know the community they're advocating for. Yeah. Yeah, um, one piece of advice that you have is give yourself permission to fail. How have you failed? Oh my goodness, so many times. <laughs> sure. Oh, we all have. I'm going to mess it up. <laughs> um, I mean, I failed just the other day. I, I went into my local Starbucks and I was trying to, so a little backstory, my, my mother um, has Alzheimer's and um, she, you know, she's able to get to, she was able to get to Starbucks, she isn't anymore, but she was able to get to Starbucks, but she no longer could like tip, like never even considered tipping. And the Starbucks staff was like so loving towards my mother, it was so great. And so I would go in um, once a year and just get, just plop down a really huge tip for them to all, you know, share, like mm-hmm. to make up for my mother and tipping. Um, anyway, I, I said something like, I wanted to talk with the manager, and I used the wrong phone. And I said, you know, I, they were like, well, who, I said, can I talk to um, this this person? He looks like he, I said, he looks like this. You know, I just described him. I didn't know his name. And then um, they were like, there's no, there's no guy like that, you know. And then it turns out it was a non-binary person who needed to say. And I, like, immediately felt terrible, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, so much for forgiving yourself. I mean, I felt so bad. I'm like, oh my God, you know, you do this work, Jeannie. Like, why, here you are making assumptions. Um, it just happens so naturally that, that you know, I fall back into these assumptions even though I do this work. So, um, yeah, I felt terrible. And of course, I apologized. I apologized without overly apologizing. I remember to do that. Um, but then I, I, you know, I did I did make a point of writing down that person's name and, and pronoun in my, in my, um, calendar and I, I practiced that for a while and I didn't get it wrong again which I'm happy about but you know that kind of thing happens all the time um, or I catch myself saying things like you know oh well this is when a man and a woman and I'm like oh gosh really you know it's, it's so ingrained this heteronormative uh, thought pattern I grew up with and you know, stop myself I'm like oh it could be no it doesn't need to be a man or a woman it could be anyone so those little things I you know um, happen happen often I think to, to many of us but to me as well what are some things that allies can do there are allies in the workplace uh, allies in your family allies on issues Um, you can't do everything Mm -hmm. so uh, let's let's take allies in the workplace Patty was talking about it a little bit with Walmart what are some things that people can do if they're allies and work for a large enough company? So, I mean, I think one of the things I like to bring people's attention to is that, especially in the workplace and and in school, um, there's so much confusion between sexual orientation and sexual behavior. um, And the way that plays out is you'll hear people saying, a very common thing to say in the workplace is, you know, I just think, that sex, there's no place for sexual orientation at work. Like that doesn't that shouldn't come to work. I don't understand why you know LGBTQ plus stuff needs to be in the work. Why do we need an you know an ERG um, employee resource group, you know pride group, etc. Mm-hmm. And what's happening is people are confusing sexual orientation and sexual behavior. Sexual behaviors, if you you know in the corporate world, for example, don't come to work with us. That would be really inappropriate. Sexual orientation comes with us everywhere. <laughs> it's like you, you can't leave that home. Um, it's kind of like saying to someone, you know, can you leave the fact that you're Jewish at home? 
you know, that, that has nothing to do with work. Can you leave that at home? People can't leave the fact that they're Jewish at home, and they can't leave the fact that they're gay at home either. All they can do is hide those things if the workplace feels unsafe. So, but, you know, so if you got a gay man working in a corporate world, uh, you know, he may switch the pronouns when he talks about his husband and, and say she because he feels unsafe. He's still a gay man at work. And I think that one of the great roles that an ally can play in the workplace is to listen for that confusion, which I think rears its ugly head really often, um, and help people understand the difference between you know behaviors and orientation. And maybe give some examples using themselves, because I think allies are in a great position to say, hey, I bring my sexual orientation to work. I got a picture of my, my husband on mm-hmm. my desk. You know, when, when we have a, a work party, I bring my, you know, my husband without any stress or anxiety. That's sharing, that's bringing my orientation to work. Um, so I think that is just a, a huge confusion point, um, and I think allies should be listening to that. Um, another great one that I think allies can do in the workplace, I think we are slowly making headway on creating more inclusive forms but I'm still shocked at how many forms are really, really non-inclusive. Um, you know, people, like, people are not seeing themselves on those forms. You know, you've still got the dreaded, you know, M or F box, to, which implies who knows what. Um, <laughs> like they're asking for sex, they're asking for gender, they're asking, asking for sex assigned at birth, they're asking for how we should refer to you when we, you know, address your envelope. I mean, it's like that M or F box is, is terrible. And if you're non-binary or intersex or, you know, a, a trans man or a trans woman or polyamory or, or, or like other things, you're not going to see yourself on those forms, not polyamorous, that's another section of your form on relationships, but um, but I think that allies play, can play a great role when it comes to um, encouraging or advocating for more inclusive forms because there, there's, it's really low risk for us. You know, if you think of someone like starting a new job and they're, the first thing people are handed when you do almost anything is a form, right? So you're starting a new job, you get this form, and it's like, oh, wow, I don't, I don't see myself or my family represented on this form. That's a real, they're in a really awkward position to say something at that point. They're just being hired for a new job. So now they're feeling probably like, can I even be out at work and authentic because I'm not represented on this form from this company, so now I'm not sure if I'm even safe here, like what an awful thing to also put that person in the position of having to advocate for a more inclusive form, like a much better job for an ally to, to notice when those forms don't fit everyone and be the ones that kind of take that heavy lifting um, and, and do that allyship. So I think forms are just a great place for allies to be paying attention to and stepping in and advocating for more inclusive categories, not just under sex and gender, but also under relationship status. Um, making sure that we're being open um, and we have options for our polyamorous friends, um, for, again, lesbians, um, you know, gay folks, bisexual folks, everybody. You know, it's interesting. Like, I had a manager at one point in my career who uh, was a woman, a cisgender woman, and referred to her partner, and um, it turns out it was a guy. And she, mm-hmm. but she did that in, in company meetings. My my partner is a, you know is a chef and and such. And when people would ask and begin assuming that she was gay, she says, "No, no, I'm straight. My partner yeah. is, is a man." And and they were a couple who weren't going to get married until we could. 
and it was really kind of gratifying but it did stop and make people think and I didn't have to be present for that awakening in others she was doing it all along with just her relationship and referring to her partner and then of course when they did get married they were my spouse and um, she said you know why should you know let people assume about me like they do about you um, and let me correct them you know um, yeah it was it was a great it was very gratifying to mm-hmm. me yeah. and, and another one that I remember so well in my life was my older sister my oldest sister put an HRC sticker on her car mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. just felt so inclusive like mm-hmm. she's driving around in Texas you know with with this HRC sticker and she would say you know um, Patty and her wife Erin are coming for Thanksgiving and she would talk to her friends and still does talks to her friends um, in a very very um, anti-LGBT environment um, like it's like it's nothing you know and I, I I really appreciate that so she's had her own coming out experiences as well and people do that in the in the workplace yeah. it's really it's really cool I mean the yeah. the big example is oh I don't bring my sexual orientation to work but I do have a picture of my wife uh, on my desk <laughs> that's awesome yeah but if you were to bring a picture of your wife, you know, that would be horrible. So. Just throwing it in everybody's face. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> flaunting it. That's the word they use. Flaunt, you're flaunting, flaunting it. it. Flaunting it. Exactly, yeah. And actually, your story about the using partner um, reminds me a little bit of, of the power of sharing your pronouns, which, you know, I know that pronouns are, are a huge uh, issue, um, at least here in upstate New York, I imagine in, in Texas as well. But um, Yeah, our legislature is about to outlaw them. Uh, well, you can't use any pronouns. <laughs> 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 Try that for five minutes. That won't go real. But I, I, I think it's similar to what you were saying um, about, Patty, about the, um, you know, sort of like taking taking on that, that ownership of the word partner. You know, I'm someone whose pronouns are obvious. I've never in my life had someone use the wrong pronoun for me. I still share my pronouns. I think that is a great, again, and, and this falls under the same thing you were asking, like what can someone do in the workplace to be an ally? Share your pronouns. Put that on your email signature. Put that on your name badge. Um, it is such a, a lovely thing to do because it, it basically um, normalizes the behavior and makes it so much easier for others to share their pronouns, um, folks whose pronouns may not be so obvious. Because if you think about it, like how awkward a world would it be if the only people who are walking around with pronouns on their name badges were the ones whose pronouns weren't obvious, right? <laughs> right. <about> othering. <laughs> Every time an ally does that, it starts to create this culture where that just becomes the normal thing to do. So it's a bit kind of similar, I think, to the your your the, your friend's use of partner or your, I'm sorry, your relative's use of partner. And, and I think too, it's we used to here in Dallas. We used to have a very active national coming out project, and one of the things we did was we we, we did a double truck um, ad in the Dallas Morning News on National Coming Out Day, and we would have hundreds, if not thousands, of names of people who supported non discrimination for the LGBTQ community, and it was such a discussion starter, and that's what we meant it to be. Because the people would say, how can we tell who the gay people are? Mm-hmm. You know, with all these lists and lists of names, and many of them prominent in the community. And, the, you know, like, oh, my God, I didn't know he was gay. And I was like, well, is that what the statement says? 
that 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 they're LGBTQ or that they support non-discrimination for LGBTQ people. And we so we have a discussion about that, and they're like, oh, so a lot of these people are not gay, and you know, they're 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 just there with you. I'm like, yes, exactly. Could you be with that person too? And you know, it, it was just it was just a really fun thing to do, but it was always that look of shock. Well, how can we tell who they are? <laughs> yeah, they look just like everybody else. <laughs> I've even talked to a few. Yes, yes. I do talk about gaydar in my book too, FYI. As far as how can you tell who they are, you, you can't, folks. You can't. <laughs> Even if you think your gaydar is really good. Um, you had some gaydar advice. Do you want to go into that? We have a couple of minutes before we need to take a break, but. My gaydar advice. <laughs> yeah, so I, mean, I imagine most people who are listening have heard the word gaydar, but it basically combines the word gay and radar in it the supposed superpower that some people have of being able to figure out who's a gay person just by like, you know, seeing them or talking with them. And, um, you know, I, I work, as I said, I worked for 15 years at our local LGBTQ plus center. My gaydar stinks. Um, and the reason it stinks is because there is as much variety in LGBTQ plus folks gender expression as there is among straight cisgender folks. You cannot tell who is gay or who is lesbian or who is trans simply by looking at them. And we should, I mean, it's also really disrespectful to try. Um, I always just say, like, leave your, leave your gaydar at home. Um, let's not go around trying to figure out who people are. Um, with that said, you know, I think people are humans naturally categorize things. Like, it's hard for us not to categorize. So it's not uncommon, I think, even for myself, you ask, like, hey, where do I mess up? That is an area that occasionally I'll catch myself saying, like, oh, I wonder if that person's trans. And then I'm like, Jeannie, I just give myself an imaginary dope slap. I'm like, what? Like, stop. Like, first <laughs> of all, who cares? Don't even go there. You know, like, I have to stop myself. But forgive yourself. Be forgiving if you find yourself doing that. And just, just back up and think there's no reason for me to even make an assumption here. Um, so, yeah, I think gaydar is really inaccurate. Basically, what we're doing is we're looking at gender expression, which is the only thing we see about a person, and we're assuming that we can fill in like all the rest about them um and you know sometimes we're right and most of the time we're absolutely wrong so my favorite story relating to that is um i got a call from oh an hr person from one of the banks one of the big banks and she had a transgender woman who was working in dallas and was successful Despite all the obstacles, she was successful. So I'm interviewing her, and we're talking, and we're having this nice conversation. And what I found out about her was she had experience in exactly what uh, the bank had hired her to do. She had a degree in exactly what the bank needed her to have a degree in. What are all these obstacles? You know, they were assuming that... that because she was transgender, she was going to fail, even though that bank has, you know, 100% rating with HRC, all the right policies in place, there was still that assumption she was going to fail. Let's take our break. Uh, You're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON FM. We're talking to Jeannie Gainsbourg, and her book is called The Savvy Ally. We'll be back with more right after this. And this is Lambda Weekly. Candy will be our guest next week. Uh, 
We're talking to Jeannie Gainsberg. Her book is The Savvy Ally. Um, one of the sections of your book that is my favorite is duct tape, patch up jobs, and big fixes. Yeah. Uh, tell us about duct tape. <laughs> <laughs> When we look at creating inclusive spaces, more inclusive spaces for LGBTQ plus people, um, we really need to go down, I talk about going down two paths. We need to do the duct tape patch up job and we need to do the big fix. And I give an example of my friend Shimona. I have a real friend named Shimona and she thought it was hilarious that um, the only time I mention her in the book is when she falls on her face. But my example <laughs> is Shimona's coming over to my house and on her way up my front walk, she falls on a, you know, like a, a hole in my walkway and, you know, rips her pants and, and she's bleeding. And so, you know, my, my duct tape patch-up job is literally a patch-up, right? I, I, I'm going to get her a Band-Aid, some antiseptic. I'm going to apologize. Um, that's, that's the, you know, immediate fix. However, if I don't do the big fix, which is the taking care of the, you know, problem in my sidewalk, um, the next time a friend comes over, they may trip in the same spot, or worse yet, Shimona may come over a month later and trip over the same, you know, area because I haven't done the work to fix it. So, of course, you see where I'm getting at. If you are looking at creating an inclusive, more inclusive workplace or school, um, you have to do the both jobs because you've got people right now who don't fit into your system, right? Which your system being, you know, your forms, your maybe your restrooms, your you know, <laughs> your father-daughter dance or whatever you're <laughs> offering at your school, right? So you have to do the patch-up, fix up, you know, um, patch-up job. So, for example, with, if a school is still running, like the father-daughter dance, most have moved away from that. But if you are, a patch-up job for that would be, hey, let's, you know, we've got, we've got a family that has two moms. Well, let's let one of the moms be a father, right? So we're running this we're running this dance next week. All we can do is a patch-up job. We're going to welcome that mom to come, and she'll just be, you know, the, the so-called father. That's that's the patch-up job. But you got to do the big six too, um, in order to create a more inclusive school, so that the next year you run that dance, let's call it the student-adult dance, and let any any student bring any adult who's special to them. Um, so as we look at our, you know, what's going on in our schools and our workplaces, it's really important to think about how can we help people immediately with our patch of jobs and then, you know, what are those down the line from, you know, a year from now, two years from now, what do we want things to look like and how can we work towards those big fixes? Hmm. Um, That's a great philosophy because the change doesn't happen overnight. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, one thing that you say is that L, G, B, and T are not naughty words. And we touched on it at the beginning of the show, but uh, talk about that a little bit, about how you encourage people to use the words and not to, you know, go, oh, and he's gay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, I think, like, well, it's funny because, you know, it, it, we, we do talk about LGBT. You know, we just sort of rattle off LGBTQ a lot and without saying the word. Um, when I do in-person workshops and I break folks into groups, and instead of doing the, like, one, two, three count-off, I'll do the, like, lesbian, gay. But, you know, so you're going to the lesbian table, and I have them say the words. I'm like, don't just say L, say lesbian, because I'm like, let's get really comfortable using these words because people don't. But, yeah, I think especially when we're looking at um, parents, 
you know, who are shying away from words like lesbian or gay or transgender, like what, what message is that giving? You know, <laughs> like, I mean, those words would be come out of your mouth as easily as, you know, only other adjectives like green or, you know, or silly or, you know, anything. Um, and, and, and if they're not coming out of your mouth that easily, then, um, you know, pra- practice them, use them more often, um, get, get comfortable with using them. I, it reminds me of the question that I got um, just last week when I was doing the workshop. Someone said, when's a good time to explain to my child that she has an aunt who's in a lesbian relationship? Um, and I was like, N- like now, I mean, the real answer was probably like, you know, years ago, but, you know, like now, because if you think, if you have to like have a, a special, well-timed, age-appropriate conversation to talk about your, you know, your, your lesbian, um, her lesbian aunt, that's just setting that up as that being like this abnormal, you know, <laughs> deviant thing. Like you should talk about that aunt in the same way you would talk about any other aunt that's in a heterosexual relationship. Um, and I think that's, that's so true with the word, too. Like, don't wait until your child is old enough. They're, you know, you should be having conversations about all kinds of people and all kinds of family. As soon as you can prop those little chubby baby bodies up against your belly and, and read the book. Chances are the kids understood the relationship better than the adults did. Yeah, that is probably <laughs> um, I, I was in a relationship for um, through my 20s and 30s. And um, I was there when my partner's uh, nephews were born. And their grandmother was just horrified and didn't know what to do with explaining to the kids. And one day uh, I showed up at something and my partner wasn't there. And he just looked at me and just said, where is your Tommy? You know, with hands on hips, and he understood our relationship because we were always yeah. together to him. Yeah, yeah. It, you know it's true. It, kids get this stuff. It's so true. It's true with, with with transgender identities too. Like we had a very good close family friend who transitioned, and um, he didn't change his name. So all that changed was a pronoun. And trying to explain this to my elderly parents was almost impossible like they could not get it right they continued to use the wrong pronoun my daughter who at the time i think was like this like i explained it to her and she was like oh okay and and she never got the pronoun wrong. like it was immediate like oh, okay thanks got it mm-hmm. <laughs> wow <laughs> you know, like, we, we make such a good deal about this this kid really truly it's just so simple um, i think that's really why simple. so many kids are coming out as transgender and uh not as much gay and lesbian anymore, uh, but uh, especially non-binary, because it defined who they were. Uh, you know, it's not clear. Sometimes some things are more masculine in them, sometimes more feminine, uh, sometimes neither one. And it just seems to fit a whole bunch of kids who aren't spending a lot of time trying to fit in anymore and, and be what they're not. Yeah, which, you know, and I think that's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I never understood why people got so up in arms about, you know, how or who other people love or, or who they are. And what a, what a lovely thing that, that youngsters are really starting to think about who they are and, and even just mess around with it. You know, have fun, question it, figure out who you are. Like, I think that's all good. You know, there were a number of years ago, our community got in an uproar after Jodie Foster 
came out at the uh, Golden Globe. She got a Lifetime Achievement Award, and people said, "Oh, she didn't say the words," like they're mm-hmm. like they're mad at her. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, like all of us, we don't come out the same way. We don't say I'm gay. We don't say I'm a, an ally. You can say, you know, my 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 partner's coming with me to the party. My wife is coming with me to the party. Or mm-hmm. and people people aren't stupid. Kids aren't stupid. I mean, if you just treat people like they're themselves, they know. And that's what she had done as an as an actress early on. She said, everybody knew who I was, what, that I worked with on every film set. And she moved on. And we, we, we all got it, you know? We're, See, I was clear with my this family. This had to be a production. When I got married a few years ago and all my cousins and my aunt uh, came uh, came down from New York... Uh, before the wedding, I went over to them and I said, you know what? I forgot to tell you that I'm gay. <laughs> and they all laughed and they said, David, we grew up with you. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, yeah people we, know, kids know. Um, so it doesn't, have to, it doesn't have to be any big formal anything to treat people with dignity and respect. It doesn't. But I have to say, like, also just so so brave of people like Joey Foster, especially early, you know, I think more and more are coming out, but, you know, when you think of what that meant, I, I always get so angry when I hear people saying, like, why can't she just be an actress? You know, why does she have to come out as gay and I'm like, or lesbian? And I'm like, you know, <laughs> as people are starting to figure out who they are in this world that is truly, like, so, there's so much negativity, especially now around LGBTQ plus people, you know, kids are trying to figure out who they are. They're looking out into the world to see what does this mean. If I'm a lesbian, what does this mean, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and you see someone like Jodie Foster, it, it completely changed changes the trajectory of their coming out process and, and understanding who they are and accepting who they are. If they only look out and they see either nothing, you know, which was often the case, or negative things, you know, they're they're unlikely to be able to embrace who they are and and be authentic. Their their coming out process is going to be delayed. Um, I, I just think that it's so important for um, famous people to come out with those identities. Eventually, I, I like to think we'll live in a world where that won't be important and we can all just be human, but we're, we're just so not there yet. And I'm just so mm-hmm. grateful to people like Jen Foster and all the others who have come out um, to share who they are. Exactly. Invisibility is just huge, hugely important. Um. One of the uh, pieces of advice that you give to allies is you tell them that they're part of the movement, not part of the community. Mm -hmm. Uh, Explain that a little bit. Well, it's interesting. When I first started this work 20 years ago, when, when when you would see the initialism written out, LGBT, and actually Q wasn't included at the time. So we're going back to like 2003 when I first started my work as an active ally. The initialism was was LGBT, and occasionally you'd see an A tacked on. And at the time, 20 years ago, that A stood for ally. And now you can bet, you can guarantee that if you see the A included in the LGBTQIA initialism, it stands for asexual. And I think that switch, a lot of people were really confused by that switch. Like, wait a minute, why aren't allies included? And, you know, when when you think about it, by by the very definition of ally, we are not of the marginalized community that we're advocating for, right? So Mm -hmm. we, of course, would not be included in the initialism. We're part of the movement. So that was the part of the book where I was talking about that, was to help allies understand that A does not belong in the initialism LGBTQIA 
um, we're not we're not part of that community. We're part of a movement to create a more inclusive space and um, helping helping people understand that, and then also helping people understand that um, LGBTQ plus only spaces are important. Um, and so, if you if you see the A, assume that it stands for asexual. Um, and if it's an event and you're not sure if you're welcome, then it's worth calling um, or you know emailing whoever's in charge of that event to to ask whether allies are welcome to join. Um, one thing that you talk about also is that many allies are fearful of pushback. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, and I wonder how much are fearful of pushback, right? I think that was actually the mother hen in me. Um, <laughs> I felt like after I wrote this whole book about you can be an ally too and here's your guidebook, it felt a little disingenuous not to include a chapter on ally pushback and to let people know that there is such a thing. Um, so that people aren't blindsided. Um, I just felt very protective of my readers, and I wanted them to know that there is such a thing as ally pushback or, or backlash against allies. And, I, and I, I, I shared that there's good reason why there's backlash against allies, because, you know, there's some, there's some uh, bad allyship going on out there, um, which I think is related to, as we started the conversation, talking about all the different um, words uh, that have started to take uh, hold instead of ally. Um, and uh, I think that's related to, you know, accomplice and co-conspirator and all these new words. Um, but, yeah, so I basically share three, I think the main three areas where I have heard backlash against allies um, and uh, just kind of talk through that so people understood um, what was going on, why this was causing some bad feelings, and then how to, how to avoid, um, you know, those, those pitfalls. And why... Um, well, how do you avoid the pitfalls? Yeah, so um, I think we actually talked about several of them. So understanding, that the first one in, that I talk about is understanding that ally is a practice rather than an identity. So again, getting away from that that idea of like, well, I, I can say this because I'm an ally. You know, somehow that's the word ally gives you privilege. So moving away from that idea and realizing that ally is not an identity. It's something that you're always striving to become. Um, and that it's, you know, it's about action. That, that's the first one. Um, the second one I call shut up and listen, and I, the reason I share that is that I've been in, in many spaces for, um, that were basically meant to educate allies, and the, they literally said, shut up. if you're an ally, shut up and listen, which, okay, I think that's a little rude. Um, <laughs> so I, I give them advice to, you know, to what, what to do when they hear shut up and listen, and also understand where shut up and listen is coming from, because, you know, if a community of people feels like they have to tell allies to shut up and listen, there's a, there's a, a reason, and it's because they've been probably talked over by people who were not part of the community. Um, so, you know, if you want to do good work for the LGBTQ plus community, it's important to let people from the LGBTQ plus community guide your allies and let you know where you can offer support. Um, so just being aware that that might be said um, and, you know, just be kind to yourself in those moments um, and remember where that kind of snarky attitude is coming from. And then the final one is to understand that A is for asexual, which we just talked about um, as well, and being aware of not, um, not going into LGBTQ plus only spaces when allies aren't invited. Um, let's end on a positive note. Um, understanding the impact you're having. Allies are having a big impact, and we have like one minute. Yeah. Um, 
I'm not sure. Was that a question? Uh, yeah, <laughs> just uh, um, what talk about for just a, a minute uh, the impact that allies are having. Allies are, I mean, allies are so important. You know, no social justice movement was ever successful without allies. I mean, you know, not only do allies add to the numbers, you know, just, just flat out looking at the numbers, right? More people are not LGBTQ plus folks than are are. So the more people who can get on board with this movement, the better. Um, but I think, I think we add more than that. I think that allies can, I think ally to ally conversations are so critical um, to help move people forward in their understanding. Um, and I think ally to ally conversations are great because it takes the weight off the people within the marginalized communities to always be the ones having to do the educating. Um, it's a great role that we can play. I also think that an, an ally talking to another ally or a newbie, a newbie ally talking to another ally is way more likely to be vulnerable, to ask questions, because they're not afraid of accidentally messing up and saying something that might offend the person. Um, and I think in this day and age, you know, I think a lot of people are, they're just so worried about messing up. Um, the vast majority of people I talk to are these big hearted people who are scared to death of messing up. And so allies really can create those judgment free spaces and admit our own vulnerability, uh, vulnerability and talk about where we've messed up and help bring people along. Um, so, yeah, allies are, allies are just a great, a great force. And, and Jeannie, I we are completely out of time. I want to thank you for being with us. The, the <laughs> hour just me. flew. Yeah, come yes, back again, did. absolutely. Thank you. This was a fun conversation. <laughs>